Hello and welcome to Inner Journey Podcast. My name's Dawn, and today I'm starting with a quote from political prisoner Mumia Abu-Jamal. He says, Conventional wisdom would have one believe that it is insane to resist this, the mightiest of empires. But what history really shows is that today's empire is tomorrow's ashes, that nothing lasts forever, and that to not resist is to acquiesce in your own oppression. The greatest form of sanity that anyone can exercise is to resist that force that is trying to repress, oppress, and fight down the human spirit. The second is from South African clergyman Desmond Tutu, who was a long time an advocate for releasing Mumia Abu-Jamal from prison. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse, and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. My guest today is Mike Africa Jr. His parents were part of the MOVE 9. I interviewed some of the MOVE 9 members in our last episode called We All Need to Be on a Move. The MOVE 9 were nine individuals who were imprisoned for 30 to 100 years each for the death of an officer who was actually killed by his own team in what's known as friendly fire. Friendly fire is a euphemism for a failed or misguided attack by a military force while attempting to attack the enemy. Two things I'd like to say about this. The military force is certainly an accurate description as the police used many military tactics on MOVE people. But the enemy? MOVE was not the enemy. The system was the enemy, will remain as such until we see it for what it is and dismantle it. The police are a part of that system. The prison industrial complex is part of the system. The meatpacking industry is part of the system. The zoo industry, puppy mills, big banks, big industry, and food corporations like Monsanto are part of the system. And MOVE has tried and succeeded in bringing awareness to the system since the late 1960s. And what we're seeing now is no different than what the government did then. Government tried to convince people that issues of human rights are different from issues of animal rights, different from issues of pesticides in our food or lead in our water, different from military occupation or mass incarceration of disproportionate numbers of black people and any other ethnicity, different from the housing market crash due to immoral banking by big-name banks, different from student loans and taxes that pay for war. And the intention for trying to convince people of these things is to divide people. That is why MOVE was a target, because they sought to tell people the truth, that these issues People will fight for clean water, clean air, humane treatment of animals, humane treatment of incarcerated people, getting poison out of our foods, out of our earth. These issues are not separate from each other. They are all issues that have to do with standing up for life. And that love of life is central to move philosophy. And because it's a shared value for all, 
Move members tend to be very compelling and influential when they speak about it. Unlike many who seek to withdraw from the system by living off the grid alone, move members enter the chaos of the world and come face to face with the system to challenge it. Their weapons are knowledge of the system itself and the knowledge about how to take the system down with unity. Mike Africa Jr. has a unique and profound charge in this fight. Before he could even breathe on his own, Mike Africa Jr. was behind prison walls in his mother's womb. His mother, Debbie Africa, was able to hide her labor and delivery from prison guards with the help of other inmates who would talk loudly and sing and cough to hide birth sounds. She cut her baby's umbilical cord with her teeth and hid from prison guards for three days so she could be with her baby boy skin to skin. And it was Mike Jr. who drove her home from prison some 40 years later and home with his dad, Mike Africa Sr. after that. Mike Africa Jr. has dedicated his life to fighting for the freedom of his family members and other political prisoners, as well as continuing the education of life, the fuel for everything, the love of that which is life-giving and sustainable. This is why I choose the word profound and say that it's an honor to have him on this episode and ask questions about how we can better empower ourselves to support the move and this movement. So Mike Africa Jr., welcome to Inner Journey Podcast. Thank you so much. I know you're a busy activist. I appreciate your time. Welcome. I guess uh, my first question, what does on a move mean to you? Uh, on the move to me means movement. You know, it means to continue on and not stagnate. Um, all life moves. You know, the animals move, the air, water. The movement is what generates energy, and the energy is what generates power and continuation. So when we say on the move, it's a salute. It's an it's an honorary greeting to uh, to say you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing or to say, do what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything in life is movement. That's what uh, Eddie Africa in the last interview was distinguishing what is man-made, pollutes the air, what is from life, gives us clean air. Man-made pollutes the water, life gives us clean water. So I want to ask about the system and if there was a particular moment when you learned what the system was, you know, I'm reading in this system, someone can call the cops for help and get killed and call an ambulance and end up bankrupt. How early did you learn what the system was? Do you remember a particular event or story? Nah, I've been, I've been, I've been in move since I was a, a baby. You know what I'm saying? I was born in move. So uh, throughout the organization, I've always understood that there is a system that is out to get us all. And I've always understood that. So um, I've never trusted police. I've never trusted uh, the system itself, the different systems that run the world and country and cities and towns. Never trusted them because I've always understood that. I mean, I've seen the insides of uh, police vehicles ever since I can remember. 
for for doing nothing wrong. Um, so I don't know if I, I don't I don't know when I knew. Like I was too young to to really remember that information. Mm, I wish I was too young to remember. I'm ashamed to say how long it's taken me to really start to fully wake up to what the system is. And, you know, but I think it's because I didn't have to for a while. I mean, I knew what the system was in terms of, you know, I knew that police came to our house all the time as a kid. You know, I was in the court system and stuff, but I didn't have people around me telling me what the system was. But you, on the other hand, you were like talking to lawyers when you were like a teenager, right? Trying to free your parents. Well, uh, it was probably more so I was in the room while the adults were talking to the lawyers and the lawyers were talking to them. Um, I, I do remember the first time I had an interaction with a lawyer and he was asking me like what I thought of yeah. the case. And I was, I was 14 years old and he said, this is your mom and dad in prison and I'm putting you on the spot. What do you think we should do to get him out? Oh, wow. And I was 14 years old. And he told me, he said, I know you're 14. I know you're having a tough time understanding this question, but I'm putting you on the spot. It's up to you. What are you going to do to get your parents out of prison? What do you think we should do? And he was just, you know, pushing, like kind of pushing me around to kind of teach me uh, to kind of, you know, get the wheels turning in my mind. Hmm. And, um, but it was, you know, I wasn't really involved in the meetings. I was I was in the meetings and I was involved as I could be at that age and at that time. Um and they he definitely pushed me. His name was his name was Paul Hetznecker. Um he's still an attorney he's still an attorney today. Do you remember so, what you said in response to that question? I do. I, I remember exactly what I said. I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. And he said, well, I'm putting you on a spot. He said, it's going to be up to you to help get your parents out. You know, we're, he said, we're older people. We don't really know. You know, the young people got to get involved more. And, and you know, your generation can help them, you know, do that and, and, and this, that, and the other. So just, you know, basically, like, remember that and, and, and you know, help us figure this out. Huh. And you did. 2018. June, right? Your mom, Debbie, you brought her home, and then your dad, Mike Africa Sr., in October of that same year, right? That's right. Oh, man. I want to ask about language a bit, because, you know, language is a special area of interest for me. I'm always trying to get back to the roots of words and look at their roots, because system has a way of co-opting words and weaponizing them. And I saw this with the way the media covered the May 13th, 1985 Osage bombing, because everybody on the street knew what it was. But when the news covered it, they called it an incendiary device. And I think that why they did that is to minimize the you know, first of all, not many people, unless they had military background, knew what an incendiary device means, which is the same exact thing as what a bomb means. But 
Yeah, can you tell me about what language patterns you see in our current administrations that are used as divisive tactics or used to minimize evil? Well, it's quite interesting. So some of the language that they use is very direct and you know, you don't even have to think hard about what it actually means. You just hear it and you understand it. Um, you asked the question before about how, at what age did I understand that, there, that the system was wrong, that there was a problem. The, I think everybody understands that there is a problem. I, think, I don't think anyone can really be in this world and not know that there's something wrong somewhere. Um, but I don't, I also don't think that anybody really understands just how bad things actually are. Hmm. It, things are so bad. And the reason I don't think that people can really understand just how bad they are is because it's like you have, you ha you can't, you can't really conceive of what you have no concept of. Hmm. There's things that are happening here with police brutality. But there are rich white people that are living and rich black people that are living in different places that have no clue about the experiences of this. But they but, but make no mistake about it. They are experiencing their own level of oppression and 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 um, and hardships. Right. Um, if it's not if it's not police brutality, it's the medical industry. Hmm. If it's not the medical industry, it's. Uh, something happening in a school where some somebody was shot and killed, some type of violence there, like in Parkland. If it's not that, it's some kind of internal home uh, 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 struggles in the home where they can't control their children or their wives or their husbands. Like they can't um, control the derailed effects of of their their family units. There's trouble everywhere, and all of that comes from the system. Mm. And people, when people think about the system, they think about the government. But mm -hmm. the government is controlled and created and invented by the systems, and they just protect the systems. But make no mistake about it, divorce is a very systematic thing. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. it, 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 it's a purveyor of this system, this governmental system here in America. And so, you know, why do I say that? Because a lot of people think that they're not affected by what's happening now. Uh -huh. if, it's not, if it's not this, it'll be something else. Because the actual system that runs these, this, this country and the world they have, there is no shortage of problems that they, that they, uh, that they inflict on folks. You know, there's no shortage. Today, today is police violence. Tomorrow it'll be animal cruelty. The next day it'll be environmental pillaging. The next day after that, it'll be something else. And then it'll just continue to recycle as it does. Nobody's safe. The whole thing is a disaster. The whole thing is a disaster. You're absolutely right. And one, one, thing you said about, you know, rich people. It's really interesting when you see these videos of these rich white people outside of their big house 
pulling a gun, pulling guns on protesters, because I guess, you know, either they just have not seen passionate black people before or predominantly black crowd. But the thing that I focus on when I see those videos is these, these people in their big house with their guns, they are scared as hell and they are so miserable. So the, the system that they are benefiting from the most, even, even they're not happy, you know, and it kind of, I think one of the things that I've been dissecting over the last few years are the spiritual lies that come directly from the system. And one of those is that the goal of our life is to be happy. And so in the pursuit of this happiness, people, you know, we're human, so we have empathy and we feel everyone's suffering and then we don't feel happy as a result. And, or we do spiritual practices that make us more sensitive. And then we think well, something's wrong with us because we don't feel happy. And then we go to the pharmaceutical company and take some pill or some drug. You know, there, I think that the system feeds us these spiritual lies. Well, happiness is a state of mind. It is not a requirement. It's just a state of mind. Anyone can feel happy. People can push themselves to make themselves feel happy. Feelings are as, as feel it, the, the ability to control feelings are, you know, are are, you know, it's 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 possible, right? It's something that can happen. You do it. It, it happens all the time. Someone can say something and make you feel good. Yeah, you can see something and feel good because of it. Um, But it's still a state of mind that you can control yourself. No one can, people can say things that make you feel, that would make you feel good. But if you don't want to feel good, you can push yourself to, 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 to feel beyond what they're trying to make you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, That is not what should be guiding us throughout our lives. I don't believe, I believe what should be guiding us is the, um, is 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 what is right drugs can make you feel good those people that that pulled the guns on the protesters that were walking past some houses they would have felt good if a truck had come and rolled those people over like crash test dummy cars Mm. they would have felt good if they were able to shoot them and get away with it right they hate those people so a lot of things would have made them feel good, but none of that would have been right. Hmm. Um, feeling, you know, a roller coaster can make you feel good. It can also make you feel really bad. You know, what, 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 are, what we should be striving toward is freedom. Freedom for all. Because hmm. unless, unless there is freedom for all, there is always going to be slavery for some. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. As long as we allow a system that exists to imprison and enslave animals, we can only expect that same system to use that same prejudice mentality to enslave people. As long as we allow systems in place to poison the air, we can expect that same system with their poison to poison us. So we have to strive to what is right and not something as superficial as just feeling good yeah you know like it's important it is 
while I do agree that it is important to feel good, it's important to not allow systematic training to trick us into believing, to trick us into believing that the feeling good about something that is frivolous is important. Like, it's really not that. Yeah, or that a, a good feeling can be bought and and can be come from the outside of us. Yeah, like feeling feelings are like a, a, a atonement. You know, like it's a it's a it's a feeling that it's it's up to you to do that. It's your control. Yeah. You know, um, but there's a whole lot of people who are slaves to their feelings. Mm-hmm slave to what they feel and what you know what they want to use to make them feel good all of that comes from the system though oh i know i live right next to kensington i'm aware of that you know there's mm-hmm. just a protest today uh, to protest uh, just the people um on the street i guess the people in the neighborhood don't feel safe because they see people shooting up on Kensington and Allegheny and shooting up heroin, but that heroin has been brought in from the government. Meanwhile, there are tanks on Front Street and on Lehigh Street, which are just uh, um, just bookending where they want to protest. And I said, you know, okay, so these people are sick and they're addicted to opioids, but can we talk about the military occupation here? You know, like that's what we should be protesting. But of course I didn't get any response from that. Um, anyway, I, I hear a lot of times in interviews, people you are asking you the same question again and again um, about how to beat the system or to overcome. And your answer is always, always simple. You just say unity. And why do you think it's so hard for folks to understand unity? The reason people, well, people do understand unity. They just have different. Yeah, that's right. They just have, they have different um, goals. Um, let's see. When George Floyd was murdered by the police, you saw people come together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people know what to do. Uh, it's not a question of whether you want, uh, whether you know or not. Usually people know. It's just that there are so many distractions to take their attention away from what it is that they need to do to actually, you know, achieve the mission. Um, and also, people believe that the, the the solution is too radical. It would create such a radical change. You'd be surprised how much people are willing to suffer uh and 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 allow themselves to suffer so that they don't have to give up their comfort Uh you know know, people are in this country where this country americans are overfed overpaid people that are spoiled rotten you know what i'm saying like that's this that's the that's the quote-unquote nature of the country of the people in the country um, when it comes to the economics, there's a lot of countries that are doing way worse than he- people here. Even the poor people here 
are doing mm-hmm. better than a lot of places, right? Uh, yeah, so I used to live in India. So I yeah, I see that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's some countries in Africa where they don't have toilets, they don't have running water, they don't have um, shoes, they don't have clothes wear to protect themselves from whatever. They don't have. There's a lot of stuff happening in this country, in other countries that are that has like that don't happen here really. But that and that comfort that people have, it's a it's a real it's a really really big reason why people don't fight more. Mm-hmm. But they know what to do. You know, one of the reasons that I believe that these protests, these sustained protests that we've seen, is, is the way they are, is because people don't have a job. A lot of people don't have jobs to go to right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but if they did have jobs to go to, you better believe they'd be attending to those jobs. And making sure that they're paying their whatever so that they can have their comfort, their Netflix and their whatever, you know. Um, yeah. So that's what maybe that's that, what, Sorry, maybe that's why Trump is trying to reopen everything so fast. Well, I would never try to <laughs> speak for Trump or put, put my... My, I would. I can't tell him my mind. My I got you. <laughs> to try to go through his mind, because I'll, I'll come out dirty on the other side. I promise you. That is a good but, word. I'm taking it with me. Oh, um, but, but I don't. I don't think that Donald Trump has a goal, <laughs> other than, other than emboldening these racist people to feel that they should be who they are outwardly and openly and as racist as they can be. I don't think they, I don't think he has any other mission. Mm. Yeah. No, I don't, I think, I think Obama had a mission. I think his mission part, I think he had a few missions. I think one was to push to legalize marijuana and push for gay rights. I think that Bush had a mission, which was to declare war uh, you know, on other other countries like he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the other Bush had other missions similar. Uh, I think every president comes in with very specific missions. They have their primary goals, their secondary goals, and so forth and so on. And Trump's goal seems to be uh, giving people, these racist people, these police, these these backwoods, rural, redneck, racist people, you know the notion that they should hang black people in trees like like commonly like was done in the early 19 and mid 1900s mm. you know and and do it with impunity yeah that's what i think his mission is Man. and and mind you mind you mind you this is his first term you know, a lot of these president politicians, they don't do what they really want to do until their second term because of the fear of not getting reelected. Um, but this is his first term. You see how we, we, let's let's see how things go on his second term. I think things are I think we're in for a very long five years. Mm, man. I was gonna say God help us, but like, uh, let's let's help ourselves. 
you know, the, 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 the thing about that is exactly that. See, God give us water, food, and abundance. You can't, we can't, we can't drink all the water that there is. Mm. We can't eat all the food that there is. You plant one tomato seed, you'll get a hundred seeds in return. God give us everything that we need. It is us who have destroyed and made this mess of the planet. It, you know, it ain't up to God to save us. It's up to us to do it ourselves. If God were to do it, I would hate to see what that would look like for us. Because if I if I have children that are devilish children and I have the power to just wipe everything, wipe the slate clean, that might be something more like what I would do. But these, I mean, you know, but that's it's up to us to clean up this mess we made. You know, when you when you're in the kitchen and, and your mother comes down after after you done had your midnight snack with your cousins, and she come down the steps and they and they see the mess that you made in the kitchen. <laughs> She's, yeah, she, if she's anything like my grandmother, she don't say, "Go to bed. I'll clean this up." <laughs> That's true. She might hand out an yeah. ass whooping. She might hand out an ass whooping first, and then say, "Clean up this mess." Oh man! And don't go to bed until you clean it up. And if I come back downstairs in the morning and it ain't cleaned up, you won't <laughs> have trouble. me to deal with later. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. And you know, you were but, mentioning countries in Africa and uh, I went to went, went to uh, West Africa Guinea-Bissau two years ago and one thing that really struck me was their well first of all really really poor and their dead are buried right in their yard you know and but the thing that really struck me was their rituals around grieving and mm -hmm. these rituals around grieving that'll last for days. There's someone who's wailing to help people really um, express their grief. And I've been learning about grief for a while since then. And I find that it's a unifying force. You know, when people you really get down and grieve with are like family. But in the U.S., our communal grieving rituals are stripped away and grief has been taken into private rooms where we pay a stranger you know to process our grief um and i remember re reading that you said we must use the grief we feel as fuel to intensify our efforts and you shared a story about telling your uncle chuck about delbert's death on june 15th and is there anything you want to share about that story? Because I know we're like kind of running out of time. You know, that was a hard thing to do to tell Chuck that Delbert passed. I didn't expect him to take it as hard as he did. I don't know why I didn't expect him to take it as hard as he did, but it was uncontrollably sobbing. And, you know, it's, to go through so much together for so long, you know, you, the grief that you feel you have to process with understanding. I've experienced a lot of grief in my life. Yeah. And the experiences that I learned from that is the understanding why it happened helps. Um, but also understanding that this is a part of life that 
is inevitable for us all at some point. So that helps too. Yeah, I guess the why is the fuel that intensifies our efforts. For sure. If, because if someone, if someone passes away at the old age of 95 and they had 10 children and 70 grand, great-grandchildren and they, you know, live their life out fully and they just pass away in their sleep, that is very different than, uh-huh. you know, some five-year-old getting shot to death in North Philadelphia because of some senseless gun violence. Yeah. So the why definitely makes it different. Um, yeah, spending loads of years in solitary confinement when you're in prison for four decades for a crime you didn't commit and then coming out, you know, and it's like that's that yeah, um, why. Or, or for a crime. Oh, yeah. Or for a crime that you did commit. Some people committed, some people actually did commit what is seen as a crime, but they still don't deserve to be in prison. Yeah. There's people yeah. that, listen, if, if you're representing your community and as, a, and as a defense mechanism or as an offense mechanism to protect your community, you kill someone, you don't suppose to go to prison for that. If the police, the police that get killed because they are attacking people, you're not supposed to go to prison for that. If they don't suppose to go to prison for that, why should you go to prison for that? They, they they kill people with they kill babies with bayonets and they don't go to prison they get purple hearts after their military duty is over so if they can get rewarded for their murder why is it why why are we getting punished for our defense of our people so you know yeah i was thinking about that as i'm reading about russell maroon shokes and maybe that's um that's where i can ask this last question is that you're you write that we must protect our elders and i'm thinking about mumia abu jamal and i'm thinking about russell maroon Schultz, um, who was a founding member of the black panther party and how to get them out how ah, i know you're organizing and i know it's not a short answer and i will be at every protest that I see, but yeah, how? Pressure. Pressure. We have to apply pressure. John Africa taught us that the system is controlled by pressure. And they're not going to move unless you pressure them. Listen, there are council members that um, passed a law, passed uh, a bill to give move an apology from the city of Philadelphia. That same group of council members also supported the increase in the police budget. Why did they do that? Those are two very different things. How are, how are they supporting both? The, both? the two doesn't even make sense. Well, pressure. They got pressure from both sides. Hmm. One group is saying, one group is pressuring them this way and another group is pressuring them the other way and they haven't had enough pressure to 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 clearly pick one side pressure yeah and, and that's why gonna, the move and is we're, so and we're gonna, yeah keep going we're going to intensify our pressure uh-huh. 
yeah, from every angle, you know, from, I mean, do you think it's a waste of time to email government officials and write them letters or do that and protest and everything you can do? I think it's important to do everything you can do. Everything. For people that feel like they just want to write letters because that's what they're comfortable doing, do that. The people that are comfortable getting out in the streets and protesting, do that. The people that are interested in um, catching these people while they're eating their dinner at, 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 the, at the local restaurant, do that. Every type of action that is pressure that we should do. Well, that's a good word to end up with. Um, yeah, thank you again for your time. And uh, as I learn more about John Africa, I'm really joining you in those calls, long live John Africa. And um, long live John Africa. Yeah. Thank you, and it's such an honor to meet you, and I'll see you on the street. No doubt, thank you. All right, peace. Peace. Friends, thank you for listening to my conversation with the brilliant Mike Africa Jr. Please check out his website, MikeAfricaJr.com, to learn about children of incarcerated parents, uh, to learn also about the sister chapter of the MOVE organization called Seed of Wisdom, which is committed to helping children and to learn about Mike Africa Jr.'s creative presentations. He does hip hop, he's got a presentation called Relentless Hearts, and another one called Born on the Move. Please support him, donate. He says on the website, the revolution is a full-time job that only pays off in freedom. Thanks Mike Africa Jr. for your work. Take care everybody. 13 thank yous and honey in my heart.